Sometimes uh, about a de- one day a week, I, I work in uh, one of these uh, offices where I've got a little car that just gets me into the open plan area. It's called a Regus office. And, uh, you know, lots of people work in the, these offices. They pass through. And one day this chap came in and said, uh, he just saw me and said, Hey, Chris, hey, how are you doing? Great to see you. I didn't know you were here. And I thought, yeah, great to see you. I wonder who this is. And he said, yeah, I've got an office upstairs now. It's going really well. How's your business doing? I thought, yeah, it's going it's good, yeah. Uh, who is this guy? Because it's kind of just a random place, right? Who was he from my work? Is he from the Regus office? Is he from some church? Which church? And anyway, you know that slight feeling of panic where you meet someone in the supermarket or the street and they come talking to you and you think, I know I know you, but <laughs> I don't know who you are. Uh, and as we... For some of us, as we get older, that can be very, uh, very upsetting. But all of us experience that to some extent. So anyway, I thought, I'm going to go for it. Right? I'm going to take a risk, find out who this guy is. I'll ask him a really clever question, and I'll get some information from him. So I said, um, how's the family doing? And he said, what do you mean? <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> Is there a handbrake on this? <laughs> anyway, to be fair, right, to me, to be fair to me, um, he knew me from a previous church where he was only there for one year. So I doubt, it wasn't kind of like, you know, uh, he was a neighbor living opposite or he was in the current church I was in. So I, I have an excuse. Anyway, I thought from now on, I'm going to be honest, right? Honesty is the best part. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to, if, some, if that happens again or when that happens again, I'm going to say... I, I, your face is very familiar to me, but I'm sorry, I can't remember where, where I know you from. That's honesty's best, isn't it? I'm sorry, your face is really familiar to me, but I can't remember where you're from. I'm going to be honest. And yet, when I said that to Alison on Friday, she got mad. <laughs> I mean, come on. I can't win. I can't win. Can't win. So, but I wonder... If on the day when Jesus came into Jerusalem, how many people there shouting in the street, waving branches, celebrating, really knew who he was? This day Jesus came in. Many of them will have heard of him, but didn't know who he was. Many of them may have seen him somewhere. One of many Jewish rabbis, itinerant preachers, but couldn't place him. And many others will have had no idea, but thought, hey, it's a party, right? It's a celebration. Let's go and celebrate. Or who knows? But let's jump into this day, this famous day, Palm Sunday, the day when Jesus came in to uh, Jerusalem for the final time. But let's remind ourselves how we got to this point. And um, th- th- this is just three years after Jesus started his ministry. Uh, Jesus, this seemingly obscure Jewish rabbi called Jesus, has burst onto the scene. And he's credited, he's been credited with amazing miracles and dangerous claims to be God. He's mesmerized crowds and yet made bitter enemies. He's dined with outcasts and criminals and he's fiercely criticized the religious know-it-alls. And through it all, he's indicated to those closest to him that he is going to suffer and die. The 12 who surrounded him, he's told them all along, 
I will enter Jerusalem, I will suffer, and I will die. And they don't like this. They even argue with him. When he says this at one point, Peter takes him to one side and says, what do you mean? Stop talking like that. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. They don't understand. They even get cross. Difficult for the twelve, but how much more difficult for Jesus We know he was God's son, and yet we know he was fully man, fully a person, with feelings, with fears, with tears, as we will see, just like you and I. How much more difficult to know that he goes to Jerusalem where a Roman cross awaits. Just going to read through some of those verses that Liz read to us, um, just to make sure we've we've, uh, absorbed it. So it's from about um, verse 35, I think, this. So they brought the colt, the, uh, this donkey, to Jesus and thrown their co- coats on it. So they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As they approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So, all these people, all these characters in the street. Did any of them, I'll put some Pharisees in there as well, because they were there too. Did any of them really know who Jesus was? Which of them had seen him but hadn't worked it out? Which of them hadn't any clue but just wanted to shout and wave? Some did have a clue of who Jesus was, for good or for ill. But let's have a look at who, who knew what. Who were the characters in this scene, and who did they think he was? So these are the main characters in the scene. We've got um, Jesus himself, we've got the crowd, the disciples, the owner of the cult, they had something to do with it, the Pharisees, even the stones have a character in this story. So Jesus, first of all, he knows his identity. He is God. He is God. He claimed to be God. That is a claim that we know Jesus made. And despite the fanfare and the entry, he knows this is not going to be good, what lies ahead. Then there's the crowds. I've already talked about the crowds. The cult owners, outsiders, who knew something of Jesus. They knew there was someone here who had authority. The disciples just said, the Lord needs it. Maybe that was something Jesus had prearranged. We don't know. But they, had, they knew something was going on here. The disciples, after three years with Jesus, what did they actually know? They still had a view of a king, of Jesus as a king, but their view was as a militaristic conqueror who would drive out the Romans, someone who would physically fight for them. But they think this is great, this is, 
it's all starting to happen. Finally, things are coming together. Jesus, his public career, his vocation, his status, his, his celebrity status, people are starting to get it at last. Finally, this role has promised Messiah as our saviour. In their heads, things can only get better. Things can only get better. Look at the crowds. Listen to them. Sorry, no. And then the Pharisees. The Pharisees who say, Jesus, order your disciples to stop. It's disgraceful. They're calling you a king. Order them to stop. Now, uh, just a word on the disciples, because in our churches often, the, the, sorry, the Pharisees, the Pharisees get a bad press, don't they? We, we tend to point the finger at them and think of them as the baddies. But we must be careful not to fall into the trap of pointing the, the finger at them, because, by and large, they were actually God-fearing men who were trying to do the right thing. They were trying to do the right thing. They thought that meant sticking to the rules. And if you go through the Old Testament and add them all up, there's 613 rules. It was impossible to keep, stick to the rules. But they thought that's what it meant. You had to stick to the rules. You have, they'd lost focus on what God really wanted on God's heart. So actually, they knew all about God, I think. They probably knew more than us about God. But they didn't seem to know God. They knew all about God, but they didn't seem to know God. And then the, the stones, they even have a voice here. Um, so some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. Now, obviously, Jesus obviously uh, often used exaggeration and hyperbole and metaphor, and here he does again. But there is a very real sense in which even nature cries out to God, its creator. <clears throat> psalm 19, that brilliant, brilliant introduction to that psalm, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Even the heavens, the skies, shout of God's glory. Or as uh, Paul comments, ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible quality, his eternal power, his divine nature has been made known ever since the creation of the world. God has made this known. Um, <clears throat> that uh, the creation speaks of the creator. So it is an exaggeration of Jesus, but it points to a very real truth. That when we see a sunset or a starry sky, something inside us comes alive and reaches out to who created that. Whether it's um, the simplest buttercup or the Orion Nebula, something inside us comes alive and says, Lord, who created that? Creation speaks volumes about its creator. There's another character in here, which I haven't marked, which is Jerusalem. Jerusalem also has an opinion. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, it says in those verses. Jesus only cries three times in Scripture, so not often. Uh, once at the death of his friend Lazarus, once he will cry again in the Garden of Gethsemane as he approaches the cross. And he cries at this point over Jerusalem. He weeps over Jerusalem. Because he knows its inhabitants who are, think, who, are, who are welcoming him, are praising him, he knows they're going to reject him. In a few days' time, they're going to re you're going to reject me. 
And he says, the city of Jerusalem will experience destruction, which it did only 40 years after Jesus' death. Roughly, Jerusalem was wiped out. But there are two other voices, actually, uh, which I think are interesting as well. Unseen human voices that speak into this passage. Right? Anyone like to guess who are the other two human voices that speak into this passage? Say again. Children, <clears throat> children yeah. <clears throat> there certainly were children in the crowd. That's one. But there's two other voices. Actually, oh, yes, very good. So, yeah, one of them is uh, Zechariah, uh, who actually lived 500 years before this event. The prophet Zechariah, we've got his book in the Old Testament, lived 500 years before his event, this event. And he said, he knew that God was going to do something one day. He didn't know what it was, but he knew something was going to happen. And this is what Zechariah wrote 500 years before this day. He writes, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. That's what they were doing. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. That's what he's doing. But lowly and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's in Zechariah chapter 9. And then the other unseen voice, actually, of this passage is the narrator, Luke, isn't it? Luke himself, who we know was a medical man, a doctor, wrote this passage about what was happening some decades afterwards. He had the benefit of hindsight. He knew what was going to happen. Okay? Zechariah was far too early and just knew something was going to happen. And all these people... They, they knew something, but they didn't know everything. So many voices in this passage. So many opinions on who this man was. Just as today, so many opinions on who this Jesus is. <clears throat> but if we focus on the people present that day, the crowds, the Pharisees, the disciples, they all knew something about Jesus. But arguably, none of them knew Jesus. They all knew something about Jesus, but none of them knew Jesus. In some cases, they thought they did, like the disciples, but it turns out they didn't. They didn't actually know what was going on. What they did not realize at that moment, all these people, what they did not realize was that there was much more to know about this Jesus. There was much more to know. And here's a pitfall for us. That uh, thinking we know this Jesus, but actually what we know is about this Jesus. That there is much more to know about this Jesus. So do we know Jesus? Or do we know about Jesus? Which is not the same. Knowing God is not the same as knowing, sorry, knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. It's great to know about God, but it's not the same as knowing God. It's a sliding scale knowing somebody, isn't it? We, we get to know people more and more and more uh, the more time we spend, just like any relationship. Or we can actually know, think we know people, but actually we just know about them. Perhaps people at work, perhaps uh, politicians, uh, celebrities. We might think we know them, but we only know about them, really. Public figures... It's very easy as a Christian as well to come to church uh, every week and just leave it at that and stop. 
It's very easy to think my salvation sorted out. Why do I need to do anything else? It's easy as a Christian not to be curious about the character of God, the nature of God. It's easy to think, surely I've got it sorted now. I come to church. But knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. And I think there are ways we can tell. I think there are ways we can all tell if we know God, if we know about God or know God. Because the surprising truth is that God is a person who wants to be known. God is a person who wants to be known. He has a personality, a nature, a character. We've been speaking at our um, Monday night group on the claims of Jesus about this God. And we've been speaking quite a lot, actually, about other religions and other faiths. Keeps keeps coming up. And uh, on Monday, we talked about uh, religions in general being transactional, is what I called it, transactional. In other words, um, many religions say, if we do this, 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 and this, hopefully God will do this for us. If I only can do this and this, God will do this. Other religions are often about reaching up to God, trying to get to God. Christianity turns out the other way around, and it's a God about God who reaches down. But Christians can fall into this transactional trap as well. We can fall into the trap of thinking, if I only go to church and read my Bible and, and give money, surely God will never let the bad things in life happen to me and my family. Surely I'll be protected in that transactional sense. But there is no deal with God like that for Christians. There is no deal that God will not let bad things happen to us, but there is a deal that God will always be with us, always walk with us. And he is a God who himself has known suffering, has known what it's like to suffer, as Jesus will know. There is a deal that we can count on his presence, that he knows us by our name. Doesn't Isaiah say, um, I've called you by your name and you belong to me. I've called you by your name and you belong to me. When you pass through the waters, you will not, they will not sweep you away. When you pass through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze. But there may still be fire. There may still be waters. God doesn't say there won't be any waters and there won't be any fire. He says, I will always be with you. That is the agreement. That is, the, that is what we live for as Christians. He knows us personally by our name. We may still go through these most difficult experiences of life, but we can always know that God goes through them with us. But that can only be true, what I've just said, God knows you by your name and walks with, that can only be true if he has a personality, a nature, who can be known. That's the only way that names work. Knowing something rather than knowing about, knowing someone rather than knowing about someone. And I think knowing God, getting to know God, is the greatest thing we can do in this life. The greatest thing we can do in this life is to know God. Because that prepares us for the next life. We don't want to be face to face with God one day, and like I was with that guy in the office, and say, well, I think I know you, but I'm not sure. Where have I seen you? <laughs> right? So then the last question. Then I said, I think you can tell if we, are, if we are on a path of knowing God or simply knowing about God, I said, I think you can tell that. How can you tell that? How can I tell 
if I'm getting to know God or just learning more and more and more about God? How can I tell that? Knowing God is a person. Jesus was a person. He, was, he became a man. And the only way, get, way we get to know people is through personal encounter, personal relationship. That's why Christianity is not transactional. It is relational. Spending time with him, allowing him to change us. So knowing God, rather than knowing about God, will always mean three things. It will always mean being with him, going with him, and allowing him to change us. Let me spend a minute on each and just double-click on those. So being with him, uh, it should be fairly obvious, and I think most of us, all of us here today, have got to this point, because that's why we're here. Right? We spend time with God. We spend time in any relationship. We spend time with the other person to get to know them. But if you don't have a daily pattern of, time, of spending time with God, there are so many things out there today that can help you spend time with this person God, this God person, daily. I've spoken about them before, but I'll just put them up again. This is one of the apps on my phone. It's just called One Minute Pause. Um, basically, it just reminds you, it interrupts you during the day and says, spend a minute now just thinking and being in God's presence, whatever you're doing. One minute pause. I used to use it a lot during lockdown. And I've used it very little since, but I want to start using it again. And then the other thing which we've also talked about here is a little app called Lectio 365. There are loads of great apps out there. So this is just one. And it's 10 minutes a day, roughly, of readings, of prayers, of reflections from Scripture. It was run by Peter Gregg, or started by Peter Gregg, who did prayer 24-7, if you know about that. And then the only other thing I'd say about being with God, the other thing that can really help us, is don't try and do it on your own. Join a group of people who are also on a journey, like you and me, of getting to know this God. Don't try and do it on your own. Join other people. We have home groups in our church. Come and ask us about that. So that one's fairly obvious, I would say. Um, being with God. Going with God. Most people, all, I think all of us get to the first one. Many get to the second one. Going with God. Going somewhere. It's because honestly, I still think the best way of getting to know this God, getting to grow in your faith, is to Go with God and do something. Go with God and do something if you haven't in your life. Whatever it is, a mission trip, a service that you offer as a Christian, a service that you offer this church, volunteering for something, children's work, flower roads, whatever it is, but do something. Because as you do that, when you step out with God, he steps out with you and he will show you more of himself as you're physically doing something rather than just sitting and listening. You will learn more of his character than you've ever imagined. So all of us kind of, in some ways, get to point one. Many of us get to point two. How many of us get to point three, though, which is being changed by him, allowing God to change us? This is uh, less obvious and a bit more difficult. And we could say a lot of things about how God changes us. I'm just going to talk about a couple. First of all, as we spend time with someone, their character rubs off on us, doesn't it? If we spend time, a lot of time with someone, their character rubs off on us. Yeah? And similarly, if we spend time with God, 
His character should rub off, rub off on us. So the fruits of his character, grace, peace, joy, faithfulness, gentleness, we should start to see that in our lives and others should start to see that in our lives. Can we see that over the years in our hearts that God has, is changing us? But then the other thing I want to say here, which is perhaps a little bit more difficult, if we are, gently, if we are genuinely open to God, he will change us. He will change us, including attitudes that we've had or prejudices that we've had or even beliefs that we've had which were mistaken. And imagine you're sat there now thinking, I haven't got any mistaken beliefs. (laughs) Well, what do I mean? Well, there are some Christian beliefs which we correctly regard as non-negotiable, that Jesus died for our sins, that Jesus is the way back to God the centrality of the cross, the resurrection of Jesus. All mainstream churches uh, have these as core beliefs, foundational beliefs. They're in the creed, they're in scripture. But there are loads of other things that we believe as Christians, which actually, uh, which I might believe and you might not believe, or or some some churches believe and some of the churches don't. Loads of things. Topical, Topical subjects, like on sexuality or on gender, or on evolution versus creationism, or on baptism, or abortion, or the euthanasia. Loads of topics that you see in the Christian press. Um, interesting topics that we have views on, but we might not be right on those topics. And I'm just going to not talk about those, but a simple but profound change that I found in my life is that actually what I found is that for me, I think for most of us, often, often, God is more interested in how I stand on these issues than where I stand on these issues, right? God is often more interested in how, I'm, how I stand on this issue than where I stand on this issue. See, where I stand on this issue is kind of, you know, we can have um, debates and arguments and I, I can think I'm right and you're wrong um, and often, unfortunately, we put being right whatever that means, ahead of being Christ-like. But God is actually at least as interested and I think more concerned with how we stand. How well do I listen to other people? How open am I to genuinely welcoming people who are really different to me? How good am I at that? How good am I at saying, okay, maybe I was wrong about this view that I've had for years and maybe I need to actually think about this because I might be wrong. How we stand is as important as where we stand on all of these issues. And I'm convinced that God is often more interested in how we stand than where we stand. And in a similar way that God is often less bothered about where we stand and more bothered about how we stand, in the same way, God is less bothered, I think, about how much we know about him and how well we know than how well we know him. So looking at these three ideas, which are all simple ideas, they're not that complex, easy to understand. They're all about knowing this God rather than knowing more about this God. Where do you stand with each one? Where do you stand with each of those? If you feel you're doing something in all those areas, that's brilliant. Please carry on. And, and, and please, please grow as a Christian. Help those around you to grow.
But perhaps we're not brilliant at all three of those areas. And if not, this is, today is a good day to start. If you've not spent spending time with God daily, those apps I've shown you, are, today's a good day, seven days before Easter Day. What a great day to start. If you're not reading Scripture daily, what a great day to start. Because knowing God is, will always be much more foundational and important than knowing about God. Uh, if you want to... We will pray for people. We pray for people afterwards here. So, if you want us to pray with you, we'll be available to do that. But for now, let me pray for all of us. Um, In the words that we sometimes use for communion, know that 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 liturgy that we sometimes use, come to this table not because you must, but because you may; not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not trusting in your own goodness, but because you know you need mercy and grace. Well, there's a line in there that says, Come to this table because you love the Lord a little, but you would like to love him more. So let's pray. Lord, we confess today, Lord, that we do love you, but it's only a little. But we want to love you more. We confess, Lord, that we do know you to different extents, but we want to know you more. We don't just want to learn about you. We want to know you, the God person, the one who came into this world as a man, who has a character, has likes and dislikes, who knows us so well. Lord, thank you, Father, that uh, you lavish your love upon us and you want us, you invite us to come to know you. So, Lord, help us, Father, today, this week, Father, to take those steps, whether it's spending time with you, whether it's going with you, whether it's thinking about how you're changing us. Help us to do that, Father. Help us in this way, Lord, in this special week, this most special week in the Christian calendar, to, to come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.